Bienvenidos a todos, everyone. Welcome to Migrants on Air, an immigration podcast formerly known as We Are Home, Arizona. We are your hosts. My name is Carlos Yanez. Karina Dominguez. Danny Orona. We started this podcast back in 2021 as part of the We Are Home campaign in hopes for an immigration reform and a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. A lot has changed since then, including a rebrand of our podcast. Although the fight towards citizenship continues in this podcast, we want to have conversations about creating an inclusive movement that focuses on protecting immigrants beyond citizenship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Migrants on Air, an immigration podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. We are recording from Las Vegas, Nevada, where today we are hosting the third screening and panel of the documentary, Rejecting the Dreamer Narrative, in partnership with Raiz Southern Nevada, Make the Road Nevada, Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, Nevada State College, Office of Community, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and Somos Votantes. But before we get into it, my name is Karina Dominguez, and I am joined by our two other hosts, Dani Orona and Carlos Yanez. How are you two doing today? Oh, yeah, super excited. I've never been off of the Strip. <laughs> so getting to see like the, the neighborhoods and city around the Strip is pretty exciting. Like when I would visit here with my parents, like you don't really see like a city you just see like mm -hmm. the casinos and stuff so it's, it's been pretty cool especially in like you see it on shows movies everything yeah. else like you think of vegas you think of the strip you think sin city you think all the all the fun that you that you can have down there the lights and everything but you don't actually think about this this, this is a city where people live it's just mm -hmm. a normal city it's just a little place where all that goes down and outside of that i feel like right i'm right at home in phoenix yeah, we were talking about that a lot. We were driving down and it's like, are we driving in Phoenix? Because <laughs> this is the same. Yeah, you have like the quinceañera shop over there. Like, <laughs> los señores de los taxes, like on the other corner. Oh, like, all the, the, the taco spots. The and I know uh, when we went to go eat the arepas yesterday, oh my goodness. <laughs> they, were so they were so good. I love you, Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we of course want to talk about how the Fuerte team ended up here in Las Vegas. We'll be joined by Rico Campo from Make the Road Nevada. But we also want to talk about the immigrant movement here in Nevada. As you all know, our podcast mainly focuses in Arizona. But it's really important for us to connect with immigrant leaders across the country to share experiences, tactics, and knowledge. But for you to like, how familiar are you with the immigrant movement here in Nevada? I actually don't really know much. I feel like my my knowledge on the immigrant movement or immigration movement is really centered around like Arizona and California, which is a little weird because Nevada is like in the middle of those two states. But I don't I don't really know much. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I knew that it, there was a big, I don't know, I didn't know about the movie. I knew there was a big population here, mostly because when I used to work construction, of course, it was listening to the radio every day. And a lot of shows on the radio, like have like lawyers come on and like they ask questions, especially about immigration, give people tips, give people help and resources. And I noticed that a lot of callers were actually coming from Las Vegas. And that like, it didn't click to me until later because I always thought Las Vegas was just, you know, the strip. And I'm like, all right, so why are all these people living in Las Vegas? Like, especially if, uh, you know, if you can't work, if you can't do anything like, you know, under like the proper documentation, why live in Vegas? And then it wasn't until like I realized the entire uh, city around it. And then the next time I did drive in, you know, you go in through the freeway and the city kind of just opens up past the mountain and like, OK, it makes sense to me now. Every Everybody that lives here. Yeah, I think for me, it's the same. I don't really know a lot. I think most of. My knowledge just comes from Arizona. That's where we live. Um, but before we get into the bulk of the show, we do want to provide a little bit of an update. Uh, we know that a lot of stuff has been going on with the Supreme Court. So, Carlos, can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Well, yeah, I I saw like a couple of people um, describing June as like the June of doom because <laughs> the Supreme Court has just been so like crappy, like with the uh, abortion rights overturning or proposed overturn um, since it hasn't been like finalized yet. Um, there have been a couple of Supreme Court cases about immigration and about the ability of, of ICE and CBP to go into your house without a warrant. And I think it was last week, right, that we were talking about this. Um, and I think I sent it in our group chat for, for Fuerte. And as we know, CBP can like enforce within 100 miles of like border regions. But what a lot of people don't know is that border regions also include like water borders. So like the coast of California, Oregon, uh, Washington, they include the Canada border. But they also include points of entry, which is like international airports. So a lot of their jurisdiction does surround like, I think it's like 70% of the population is under like CBP jurisdiction. So that's why like the Supreme Court case that happened, I think a week or two ago, and then I can link um, the stuff at the bottom of the episode, like the specifics, but it's basically saying like, oh, CBP, when they have reasonable suspicion, like they can enter your home without a warrant, which is really, really scary. And it was a 6-3 decision, meaning like the conservative judges sided with the fact that CBP can literally like do all that stuff. And they also said that they're not legally liable for any damages or any damages to to property or people. So people, if, you know, my constitutional rights are like violated by CBP, I can't go to a federal court and sue them because they're not legally liable. So they have like that protection that I think police officers have, I think in court, but now it's just been like expanded to a bunch of federal agents, which I think is a little scary. And Justice Sotomayor, um, which I think is like, the best one on there right now for for decisions um, in her dissenting opinion, which a dissenting opinion is basically a judge saying, I don't agree with the majority. She just kind of outlined a bunch of points where these are breaches of constitutional rights. Like this isn't okay. This gives a big uh, ability of, of federal agents to, to have unlimited power and no liability in the judiciary. Um, and the judiciary is basically just fancy word for the courts. So it is a little scary. I think people are still trying to figure out how to kind of fight that decision or what to do about it or how to like navigate, you know, like protecting immigrants with the recent Supreme Court decisions. But it is kind of the June of doom. <laughs> but I think we just have to figure out ways how to protect people and regardless of of what the, the Supreme Court justices say. That's something that I never thought about, the international airports. When you're mm -hmm. thinking about borders, because yes, that is an entry from other countries. So, I mean, Sky Harbor right there, like everything 100 miles from Sky Harbor, what, that's all Phoenix metro area. Yeah, and I've seen like CBP like cars like just driving around like the airport. So it kind of like um, when I learned the fact that that's a point of entry too, like under under that that type of law, uh, I wasn't surprised because I've seen them there before, and I've seen them like in I think it's McCarran International, the one here in Vegas. So I've seen them around there too. I just think people don't really know a lot about what's considered a point of entry, and they just think of like the U.S. Mexico border. Yeah, but like mm -hmm. it's literally like around the whole country, and. I saw on Twitter a lot of people like when they think border patrol, they think it's just affecting like people who are undocumented. So they didn't realize that this affected U.S. citizens. So a lot of people just have the perception that it's just if you're undocumented, but it's not right. No, I think it affects like everyone. And I think a lot of these Supreme Court decisions are kind of setting like a scary precedent. Like there's a there's a court case that the justices are deciding Vega v. Toque. Um, which is basically them deciding on like your Miranda rights, which is like, oh, you have the right to remain silent. Like you have the right to to an attorney. Um, So I, right now they're deciding like, is it unconstitutional for a police officer to forget to tell you your Miranda rights? So I think like things are kind of escalating. So we need to put pressure on on the justices and on other people who are making these decisions because 
a lot of this stuff will affect us and it just doesn't affect like undocumented people like mm -hmm. it's gonna affect u.s citizens too down the line so like everyone kind of needs to get like pongan las pilas like yeah <laughs> you gotta like get, get like we gotta activate yes and let's let's switch it up a bit <laughs> let's yeah, go sad. away from from june doom but thank you, Carlos, for your updates. Yeah, let's just get into the episode. We want to introduce Rico Campo. Rico, how are you doing today? Hey, what's up, y'all? Doing good. You're in Vegas. <laughs> yes. <I know. laughs> yeah, just like tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How did you get involved in the immigrant movement? Yeah, so man, you know, the my story is is one that I, I love sharing because I I think for me it's been a process of healing. Uh, where mm -hmm. for so long I've been in the shadows that I've been so scared to come out, but now I get to share my story. And every time I have the chance to, uh, man, I'm just so blessed. Right. And so, man, I, I came to the U.S. in 1992. Uh, when you think about the signs that are located close to San Diego of that woman uh, gripping her two children, it's like a yellow diamond sign warning drivers that people may cross. That was my mom. Mm -hmm grabbing me and my brothers across the border. Uh, I ended up in San Diego. We ended up living in California for about a year. And then I moved to Las Vegas where this is home. And I've been living here since about 1994. And living here in, in, in Vegas has shown me a lot. It's shown me the true power of people. When you think about Las Vegas, y'all were talking about the, the neon lights, right? Mm -hmm. And you were, think, you were yeah. talking about the casinos. And the power about this town is that those casinos are run by our people. Those casinos yep. are mm -hmm. literally built by our gente. And so without the power of our people, like this town doesn't exist. And so I take a lot of pride in being from Vegas. And we actually have a term um, uh, when people talk and when, say, when they say, I didn't know there was something beyond uh, Las Vegas. We call it beyond the neon lights. Okay. And so this is where the, you know, the, the community exists outside of that space where you see the, the taxes uh, <laughs> shops open up, the small businesses. Uh, and that's where the community is at. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so I think to get to give our audience a refresher for those who don't know, Fuerte released a documentary titled Rejecting the Dreamer Narrative earlier this year. And in March, we held two panel discussions with immigrant leaders in Arizona about why it's so important for us to start moving past this narrative. So in May, you contacted the Fuerte team requesting to screen the documentary in Las Vegas so you could also have your own panel. So I think our question for us is, how did you find about Fuerte and the documentary and why was it important for all of you to host an event here? Yeah, so we have a coalition here in Nevada called the Nevada Immigrant Coalition. And within that coalition, we have a badass group of undocumented folks who make up a committee called the Undocu Council. And we realized that when we were often in spaces where we were being told what we needed, we were in spaces mm -hmm. where we were often being invited to things that affected us, but we weren't on the panel, we weren't the moderators, and we weren't the ones that were planning these types of events, right? And so this Undocu Council group uh, essentially came together and we we're like, let's do something for the community. And we were able to pull up some funds and had a discussion about how can we invest this money back into the community. One of our members, Lalo, ended up seeing your film online mm -hmm. and said, we should host <laughs> this screening in town primarily because the, the dreamer narrative, particularly in Las Vegas, has just taken off. Mm -hmm. uh, for the past 10 years, it has been overwhelmingly 
just saturated by politicians, uh, members of the community, right? And we want to be able, we, what we wanted to do is we wanted to challenge the narrative and have those hard conversations for the community. So we were like, uh, the, the, the conversation that we had after was Lalo presented the idea and we we're like, okay, who has gotten this information? <laughs> and we were dying trying to figure it out. How do we get in contact of this person named Karina? And we're like, does she have a Twitter account? And we ended up contacting you, I think, through the info at Fuerte email. Uh-huh. And since then, it took off. And now we're here in Vegas hosting our own screening and having those hard conversations with our community on why we should move beyond the dreamer narrative and into a more inclusive space. That's so awesome. That's good to know that my my social media is very private. <laughs> she actually hard to find. Like when we were coming up here, <laughs> so uh, hard I, to find. I, I just realized when I realized it myself when we were on the way to on this <laughs> trip and and then we were doing a couple of video, a couple of reels on the road. And they're like, Karina, why can't I tag you? Like, oh, I'm not even following you. Bro, you are so private here. Like the requests yeah. have to be sent, approved, everything. And like, yeah. um, so, so, so even, even me finding that out, like I've been working for, for almost a year now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I appreciate what you said about like the, the dreamer narrative. Like it's a hard conversation. Like I yeah. think back to like Miyama, like that's what she calls us, like. But it super feeds into like, oh, as long as you guys are okay, like I'm cool. Like, yeah. And I just sit there like, no, <laughs> I'm not cool with that. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's it's a really hard conversation, and like, um, I'm happy we're having it. Like, I think it's important. Uh, we recently had a conversation on the podcast with uh, another team member of ours, Victoria, who grew up in El Paso, and she was telling me about the differences between the immigration system in El Paso and Phoenix, and it was like night and day that people really weren't. Uh, not that they weren't worried, but they weren't scared every day for their, you know, status and everything about fear about being deported. Yeah. Because things are like the the police and ICE is not so much of a priority to get people out of here like it is in Phoenix where they're trying to round everybody up as possible. Can you talk a little bit about what the system is like in Vegas? Like, I know you said it's been blowing up for the past 10 years. So what was it like 10 years ago and what what is it like now here? Yeah. So many, many of our communities, oftentimes they don't know we have an ICE detention in Southern Nevada, oftentimes they don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it really is up to folks in the community to inform the community uh, because the ones that are running that detention aren't going to advertise and say, this is an ICE detention center, right? But we've had issues with our local sheriff, our our metropolitan police department here in Las Vegas. I'll give you an example. If y'all remember the deadly shooting of October 1, that killed over 50 people, wounded over 500 folks on the Las Vegas Strip. Mm-hmm. Many folks don't know, but there were undocumented workers working at that site who couldn't get access to services because of their status. Wow. wow. And we had to jump in, uh, make the road Nevada, offered support, and uh, the entire community also came in and, uh, and lended support. So we ended up helping out by uh, getting translators to translate their story recanting their story, going to mental health providers to help them with the trauma that they experience. And I'm not sure if y'all folks know too, but like the victims of violence, right? If they happen to be undocumented, they might qualify for a U visa. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the sheriff here in town to approve those visas. Well, the sheriff refused to meet with the folks, the survivors of October 1 who are undocumented and really? left them out, left them hanging and that was, those are some of the experiences that we had with the uh, local Metropolitan Police Department. Mm-hmm. 
And now the sheriff is running for governor. And during one of the debates, um, they he had indicated his opponents were indicating that, well, yo, you ended your your contract with ICE, which is um, uh, many, you know, the, the the contract that local jurisdictions have with ICE to deport folks. Mm-hmm. And the governor, um, the sheriff, Joe Lombardo, he said, yeah, I ended it, but we're still uh, deporting people under the table. And then we realized, man, this whole system is more messed up than we thought. We were here thinking our people were safe. The contract is over. ICE is no longer in our communities. And then we come to find out they were still working with ICE behind closed doors, under the table, and still deporting our communities. And we were like, man, we need to organize more so that ensure that people like that don't show up at higher offices. And I always think about, like, how did y'all handle sh- a Sheriff Joe uh, Joel Pyle. I don't know mess. how y'all did that, but man, we're getting a taste of just like how people in power just want to get higher and higher. Mm, and yep. we're in the midst of mm-hmm. trying to stop that right now. He's still trying to get back in. <laughs> like following up on that, how, how do you all build collective power? Like, are there strategies that you guys use that you've seen that haven't been used in other states yeah so one of the things that we do um i mean we do year-round organizing we talk directly to our members in the community here uh we we have a, about uh, almost two hundred thousand undocumented folks living in nevada mm-hmm. and many of those folks are not organized and so what i mean by that is no one is knocking on their door you don't have the Democratic Party knocking on their door right, because they're not voters. And so there's no one that is organizing them, telling them, hey, this is going on in your community or what issues are you going through? And so what we've seen through our work and our organizing efforts is we've seen uh, we've organized and documented moms talking about I'm scared to reach out to Social Security. My son is a U.S. citizen. Uh, he has a disability, but I'm scared to reach out because of my status, right? We have other moms who um, are going through housing issues. They're undocumented. Their children are U.S. citizens. And we're realizing that everything is always connected to our status, mm-hmm. whether it be housing, education. Uh, our local school district, at one point, in order to go on a field trip with your son, you had to pass a background check. And in order for a background check, you need a social security number, right? Mm -hmm. And so we noticed there was a lot of things that were happening in our community that parents were upset about, particularly like our immigrant community. And we want to go into those spaces and talk directly to those moms, talk directly to those dads, those young people. Uh, We particularly also organize young people in here because uh, young folks are also concerned about the way in which police are coming into their schools and Mm -hmm. turning it more into a jail than it is an education uh, facility, right? And so those are some of the things that we're noticing, but the year-round organizing never ends. It cannot end for us. And so we do that on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. Like, I think in, in a lot of like cities and stuff, people just forget about like interacting with undocumented people just because, you know, they can't necessarily vote, but that doesn't mean like they can't be involved or like be like civically engaged in, in everything. Like I can't vote and stuff, but like I'm pretty involved in like organizations and stuff. So like, I think the collective power of like, imagine like all 200,000 people like being involved, like that's really cool. And I really love like the intergenerational involvement because I think a lot of what we see most of the time is like youth 
but it's really cool to bring in like parents and older folks into into all of this because it affects them just as much. Have you seen a generational gap who like um, tends to be more involved or, or how you engage different different ages? Yeah, so one of the things that we've seen across the board is uh, undocumented Latina women are mm-hmm. are what are is what is going to save us. Yes. They're badass. So, like, so and, badass. And this goes across the board. We get calls about mm-hmm. DACA uh, resources. We need help with DACA. Okay, who's it for? It's for my son. It's the mom calling, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're the ones that are taking the lead. When we comes to member meetings, we have member meetings for the community. Who is the overwhelming majority? Latina women, women of color mm-hmm. that are in there, undocumented women. And so we are seeing that particular demographic that is essentially the matriarch of the family. They're taking the lead because they're not seeing. And, and we know we've spoken to several uh, women in, in our in our membership. And for them, it's like, I'll do anything for my kids. And some of them are willing to go to meetings, willing to protest, willing to be a part of panel discussions, if that means getting their family one step closer to citizenship. So that's the demographic that I would say is an overwhelming just, man, they are the ones that are going to lead us into this next Mm -hmm. movement. That's something amazing to see because we see that in in Arizona with the undocumented moms. Oh my god! I and uh, they they are fierce. They are fierce, fierce women, and uh, some documented, some not, and but unafraid. They go all around the country. We've been with them to D.C. We've been with them in in other cities, and like not only afraid to just be there, but to speak, to to chant, to to protest, to to march everything that it takes you know to get this out there and like to see it all around like just to hearing your you you speaking about that happening here in vegas it gives me so much hope mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean you think about like a grizzly bear right and see videos online of like what happens when you mess with a grizzly yeah. bear's cub. <laughs> you don't want to know right and i think yeah. we see that same effect is we see particularly on moms here noticing that their children's lives, their family's lives are under attack. And so what do they do? Stand up, fight back. And so when we say that chant, mm-hmm. we, our undocumented moms actually mean it. Yeah. yeah. And for them, they're willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that their family is safe and that they also get to live their lives with dignity, right? Because that's mm-hmm. also part that we also want to ensure that our families get is during the pandemic, you know, a lot of our families were left out. And they were essentially left to help themselves out. And we don't want our families to have to be scraping by, right? We want them to live dignified lives where they get employment with high wages. We want them to have access to all the amazing benefits that society has available for them. And we know that in order to get that, we all are going to have to come together as a collective power. But man, I'm so inspired by moms. Just so inspired. One time we were in D.C. and I saw one of the moms like her dominant language is, is Spanish. But she went up to like a U.S. senator, started speaking to him in English, telling him like, this is my story. This is what I want. And this is what my community needs. And I was just sitting there like, <laughs> <laughs> damn, like they're so powerful and I'm so proud of them. But I did want to ask, you were mentioning like living dignified lives. And I kind of wanted to ask about the, lo que pasa aquí en Nevada, like do people have access to like, state benefits or like i know i remember you were talking about uh, professional licenses and stuff so like mm-hmm. w- what does that look like in uh yeah so many people think because we're close to california that we mirror some other same policies but i would say hold on i pumped the brakes because we're actually a purple state 
Like you're also close to Arizona. Yes, <laughs> and we're close to Arizona. <laughs> so, so we're like in the middle. So we're not like California. We're not like Arizona. Mm -hmm. We're a very different state where we're so diverse. And, you know, we have uh, one of the most uh, diverse universities in the country. We have one of the most diverse states in the country, one of the most diverse counties. But yet our policies don't reflect that. Why? Because right now, if I were to, if uh, one of our members who was undocumented were to ask me, where can I get free medical help? I have an infection. I have an earache. I have, you know, um, I'm sick. There is nowhere that we can send them. Um, that would be able to care for them. And so that's the issue that we that we're having right now is that, yes, you might provide health care for low income American citizens, but what about the rest of the population? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the part where we as Nevadans have to fight for access to health care for our community. Uh, the other thing that we're also dealing with here is because we have an ICE detention center. We also have a facility in rural Nevada that also houses our gente. We just started fighting back on uh, access for deportation defense. So prior to that, our gente were getting deported fast, fast, fast with no access to any type of attorney. And so we ended up fighting for funds to be able to combat that, right? In a perfect world, we would want to not use any attorneys. But we know that the current moment in which we're in, we do need to. And so for us, I think healthcare is one of the big things. And the other thing is housing. Our people need social security numbers to apply for an apartment. Uh, many times these uh, apartment complexes require a background check and our gente don't have that. And so we want to be able to change the system so that our gente get to just get to live, have their basic human rights. And, and we don't have that yet here in Vegas. And so I think that's part of like the collective power that Folks like myself and the Alcan Council are trying to do to ensure that our folks get to live uh, in Nevada without having to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. And what about like driver's licenses and in-state tuition? What is it like? Yeah, so we a couple of years ago we were able to pass uh, a bill that uh, provided driver's licenses for undocumented okay. folks. So it doesn't matter where you mm -hmm. have DACA. The issue that we're seeing with that is not every bill is perfect, right? Yeah. So it yeah. it provides undocumented folks a license to drive on Nevada's roadways and also the ability to purchase insurance for their vehicle. Mm -hmm. What it doesn't do is that ID, the moment they stop driving, it stops serving as an ID. So meaning mm -hmm. if they go and buy groceries and the teller says, can I see your ID? There is it's called the driver's authorization card. That doesn't work. If they try to get on the plane, that wouldn't doesn't work. work. We've seen this happen because our members have told us, hey, they're not yeah. taking my 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 DAC card. What's going on? And it's because that that bill was passed in a way where it doesn't recognize the person uh, as the uh, holding the ID. So that's an issue that we're dealing with. Right. The other thing with in-state tuition, uh, we have in-state tuition for um, undocumented folks. We just passed it a couple of years ago. And then we also passed occupational licenses about four years ago where anyone who is undocumented, whether you have status or not, if you want to become a barber, a stylist, mm -hmm. and that requires you to have a professional licensure, you have the ability to now get it without having to provide a social security number. That's amazing. That's amazing yeah. I think the first time we heard about that, you we were just like, wow, <laughs> that's like something that 
I work with a lot of like high school students and that's something that, you know, they wish we had the opportunity to have. So how was that fight? Like, how did you get to that point where this passed? I want to say organizing. I think when we build power, we, we build a lot of movement, but also storytelling. We had members of the community who had never shared their story travel eight hours to the capital of, of Nevada to share their story on why driver's licenses were so crucial. We had people sharing their story on why and how they feared uh, taking their children to school and being taken away because they didn't have their driver's license or their permission to drive on the road, right? Uh, when it came to occupational licenses, we had entrepreneurs talking about their story, about how they really wanted to uh, advance their dreams of they were being blocked because of a, a piece of paper. And then when it came to, to in-state tuition, students organizing and talking about like, you know, I want to be uh, so-and-so and, and, and I want to be a doctor, I want to be an engineer. I can't apply to any other states because I'm going to be you know, taxed with out-of-state out tuition. I want to stay home, but you're preventing me from being here. Home is Nevada. Is, that's a slogan that we use. So we had people sharing their stories. And if, man, let me tell you, the, the road to Carson City, capital of Nevada, eight hours going, eight hours back, that's 16 Whoa. hours oh of just God. traveling. That's just yeah. traveling. We're not talking. Not stop. Not eat. Yeah, not, we're not. We're not. Talking we're not talking. Anything. Stopping. Uh, you know, going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Actually showing up at the legislation, uh, let us, uh, legislative building and testifying. So our people came out in droves, and I think that's the power that I like to credit our community with. It was. It wasn't one organization. It wasn't one person. It was our community came together like undocumented senoras. Uh, they they were bringing their little babies with them. And it was amazing to see. And I think, you know, because of that, I, I have a, a belief that if we can get that done, we can get much more done. I'm curious about what kind of like networking you do within Nevada in terms of like, is it just like Las Vegas based or do you constantly work with other cities around the state? Yeah, so we have a coalition in Nevada that also works with folks in the north. So we have a northern Nevada city, Reno, and then right next to Reno is Carson City. And within that network, there's also a big need. And particularly, there's a huge, a pretty big undocumented population up in Reno. And so we want to make sure that whatever we do here that is successful, we're providing that same support to folks in the north, right? Also, when it comes to rural places, we're also lending support there. Just a couple of days ago, this person from rural Nevada, four hours away from Vegas, called me and said, hey, I need help with renewing my DACA. And we're like, okay, where do you live? And I looked it up and I was like, where is this at? <laughs> and I was like... You're probably the only person with DACA that lives in this there. spot. Right. <laughs> and we were able to help her right virtually. But I think that's the power of community is when there's a need, particularly with, with our community, we reach out to our network and our base. And also we're trying to build strong coalitions here as well, because we also realize that when it comes to our folks, like I'll use DACA as an example, we have over 50,000 undocumented Koreans in the mm -hmm. U.S. Uh, here in particular in, in Nevada, we have a tremendous Salvadoranian population, Guatemalan, Honduran population. We have a huge Filipino and Chinese population. And so we're, we're also in the building, uh, I think we're in the business of building coalitions. 
because the the young person who is Chinese who is undocumented should be linked up with the you know Mexican undocumented person as much as the other person from Central America because we're all in this fight together and I think that's uh, something that Nevada is on the road to and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I feel like that's been like a, a hard point in other states. I think especially Arizona, like I think because it's super like Mexican centric, you don't see a lot of like outreach or like a lot of like information for other groups that might be undocumented. But like, I don't know, like being undocumented like transcends like ethnicity and language and stuff. So like that's super, super cool. Like, wow. Going back a little bit with like the tuition, I think I mentioned this to you that in Arizona, we're going to have Proposition 308, which would grant undocumented students in state tuition. And, you know, this has been a long fight since 2006. Undocumented students haven't had in-state tuition. So are there any like tips that you would provide to organizations in Arizona? Like, hey, if you want to get that passed, you should do this. Yeah, well, I think I said it in the beginning, right? Uh, storytelling is one of the biggest components. Being able to share your story on the spot is, I think, one of the best skills that you can have. And we've seen this from young people um, chasing down senators in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. You only get 10 <laughs> seconds, 15 yeah. seconds. Make the most of it. I would challenge people, if particularly folks in Arizona, to get their story down and have different versions of it so that when you do encounter a... Uh, representative from Arizona, mm -hmm. you only got 15 seconds. Let's go. Right. How can you best ensure that you um, they remember you? The other thing I would say is get linked up with organization that is already doing the work. If you know of an organization that is putting amazing work, whether they're holding legislative visits, whether they're doing actions, um, whether they're having hosting meetings with legislators, I would say be a part of that network because our power is so much stronger. And, you know, we have the phrase strength in numbers, right? And mm -hmm. so if we can get that done, that would be incredibly amazing. And then the third thing I would just say is do your research. What is it that you're, or I would say in this case, the opponent who is against saying yes to this, what is their talking style like? What, how do, do they like to receive information and data? Do they like to receive their information in terms of faith? Do they like to receive their uh, information in terms of uh, storytelling? And for me, I always look at, okay, this assembly person, this state senator, they're a numbers person. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to hit them with numbers. Mm -hmm. It might be different for a, a different senator, right? Who maybe has kids and you want to hit them mm -hmm. with like, hey, like, you know, you, you go in that conversation and hit him with like family values and you hit them with things about like, I want to be able to succeed as much as your kids want to succeed. And I think with those three combinations, we've seen some of that work here in Nevada. But man, the best of luck to you on that. Thank you. I think, yeah, that's great advice. And I think, you know, we need to go back when we go back and really look into all of this and make sure that like also our coalitions are receiving this information. I think the point that you made on like the coalitions and stuff, like making sure that like everyone's kind of connected and doing the work together like and reaching out to like rural communities too i think that's another place where arizona kind of like struggles a little bit so i'll really take that advice too and like try mm -hmm. to implement that yeah i mean we we just held a, a meeting in dc with one of our senators and it's very easy to get up get caught up in the moment and be like all right only the las vegas folks are going to talk right mm -hmm. but what mm -hmm. we did in that space is we gave the the talking time to one of our rural folks 
And we're like, we have to uplift the rural folks mm -hmm. if we're going to ensure that their voices are heard. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. Right. And we're, we told the rest of the Las Vegas folks, hey, we have countless opportunities to engage with other elected officials. Our rural folks don't. And I think that's one of the things that we can use when it comes to like our privilege, our, our access to like urban life is we get more of these opportunities. The town halls are mostly held in cities yeah. uh, rather than yeah. rural areas. And so we can always go to a different town hall and ask this question. But I remember that meeting. I was so proud of the, our team because one of our members was in, living in rural Nevada. They essentially got to lead the meeting and they got to represent not only themselves, but their rural community. And that's, I think, what we can also do when it comes to coalition building, give space. And in terms of like working with legislators, do you have any tips or, or kind of ways that you guys have have worked with representatives or, or state legislators on how to pass things that are important to like our communities? Yeah. So a lot of uh, folks have a lot of opinion about polit uh, politicians. Right. So I would say this, the same way you organize community members, it should be the same way you organize legislators and it should be done year round. What do I mean by that is if I know of a legislator, I should be talking to them throughout the year. I should be letting them know what we're doing, what our vision is for getting this done and how we see them as part of that vision. I think the, I think the mistake that, that I did a couple of years back was I only hit up my legislators when I needed them. When it was legislative session and then after that, I didn't contact them, right? Because I had this strong opinion of like, oh, politicians. But then I realized if politicians are part of the equation, how can we ensure they're, they're part of it while also centering our community, right? Because that was the balance that I was trying to come up with. So community events, have them come to your community events. I always like to invite uh, members of the community and folks within like political office, but we don't give them talking roles. We give them attendance roles. Just sit down and listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, for today's event that we're going to have, uh, representative from both senators are going to be there. We didn't invite them. They just came. That's really They just cool. signed up. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, yes, you're come through, right? But we didn't, you know, we didn't say come and have a speaking role or be on the panel. Right. Mm -hmm. We wanted those roles to go directly to directly impacted folks. But I think when you have that combination of, uh, of elected officials intrigued about what is this dreamer narrative? I want to hear more about it. Just begin having that conversation and, and, and that relationship then builds with, so that when you get to the legislator, you're like, hey, Assemblyman Carlos, you know, uh, State Senator Karina Dominguez, that mm -hmm. relationship has already been established. Whether you agree with them That's or not, you don't have to. But I think that relationship should definitely be established beforehand. I think that's so important what you said about them just being there to be present and listen, because I actually have seen events where either a legislator or somebody who is trying to be a legislator who's running for office gets invited somewhere and they're like, yes, I'll say a few words. They'll go, they'll say their piece, but they use it as an opportunity to speak. And as soon as they're done, they dip. It's like, all right. So, I mean, no, the point of view was to hear all this, but no, they just took that opportunity to reach out to potential voters and then move along with their day. Yeah. You know, we had a march on the Las Vegas trip for May Day. It was this huge march that we held. On the strip? On the strip. Oh, wow. In front of 
on the strip in front of the Bellagio. It was an amazing march led by Andaku moms, of course. <laughs> and Please. at the march, uh, I was in I was in the front when we ended the march in front of the New York, New York, in front of the Statue of Liberty. I noticed several um, uh, folks that were running for office were there, but we had never like reached out to them. They just came on their own. They didn't have a speaking role. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that because uh, I think many times, like, right, like politicians, they want that talking time because they want to put it on social media. But we want them to just be in community with us. And being in community with us doesn't mean you get the mic all the time. It means you get to sit next to the Andaki mom for two hours listening to the panel. If that what it means being in community, then we want you here. If you're not willing to do that, then perhaps you're not doing the correct outreach for the community that you serve, right? And so I love that aspect of having folks come to our events to listen, curious, ask questions. But I'm very, very big. We're very big on making sure that those that are directly impacted should be closest to the solutions. I know we're coming up on time right here, but I don't want to leave without just getting your thought of what you're expecting from this event today. Yeah, so we're excited. This event is going to be the first time that we as a collective have this conversation. That's super cool. It's it's really exciting, but also know it's going to be difficult. Why? Because even the outreach that we were doing, Mm -hmm. talking to members of the community, folks were even questioning why are we having this event? Mm -hmm. And so even the pushback came from the outreach. But in order for us, I think, to advance the principles of a better world, to move our movement forward, to move our hente forward, we have to ensure that when a politician goes on CNN and they talk about immigration reform, they include everyone. Because right now what I'm hearing is they want to save dreamers, but when they say that, they're talking about me, but they leave my brother out, who's a carnicero. Mm-hmm. He, he's a meat and poultry worker. He deserves immigration reform just as much as I do, right? And so when I see that, it hurts me because I see also my aunts working in, in the food and industry here in Vegas. They're left out of that conversation. It almost feels like I'm in a boat and I'm the only one with the life jacket. And they're the ones that are mm-hmm. having to swim by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm not okay with that. I want to be able to say, no, we shouldn't share our jacket. Everyone should get their jacket. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be in the boat. And in fact, forget this boat. Give me a damn yacht. <laughs> we deserve everything, yeah. right? And so that's, a, I think, one of many conversations that I hope begins to happen today. But the event is called Beyond the Dreamer Narrative. And beyond starts today. So I'm excited for it. Yes, we're really excited. We've had this panel twice already in Arizona. So it's exciting to know that this is the first one here. But I just want to thank you. I think we've learned so much. And I think in this like new age of our podcast, we really want to talk to other like immigrant leaders outside of Arizona because there's so much to learn from one another. Yeah, we can't be just centralized in like what we know in Arizona. Like you guys have done so much good work, passed so many good bills, like helped your community out in so many ways. Like I'm like proud, but also, mm-hmm. also like super, super impressed. And I'm excited to to take back what you said and like s- start doing work. Yeah, like you said, that perfect metaphor that we're all there. Everybody deserves a jacket. And whether you're in Vegas, we're in Phoenix, D.C., everywhere in the country, we're on the same waters here. So we we need to help each other out and make sure that we all get to where we need to go. 
and we will be recording the panel. So Sorry. we'll be able to share it with more people and, you know, folks in Arizona and other states, they'll get to to watch it too. And if anybody from another state is interested, <laughs> we Let's can go, go host Let's another panel. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Nos invitan. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much, Rico. We really appreciate you being here. And Absolutely. we're excited for tonight. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everyone. That wraps up our episode for today. But for our end credits, we were Migrants on Air, formerly known as We Are Home Arizona. We are a Fuerte Network production in association with Frecuencia Alterna and Orona Multimedia. We would like to formally thank everyone involved in the creation of this episode. Our host, Dani Orona, Carlos Yañez, and myself, Karina Dominguez. Thank you to our guest, Rico Campo. Graphics were done by Karina Dominguez. Theme song is Crazy Like That by Lo-Fi. Production, production and editing by Karina Dominguez, Dani Orona, and Jesus Vasquez. Uh, please follow us on Spotify for this and all other Fuerte content. Make sure to log on to our Fuerte.org website and sign up for our mailing list. And also a big shout out to all of the organizations that came together to create the Beyond the Dreamer narrative event in Las Vegas. We are so excited to go to that event tonight and we will see you all soon.